Amen. Bless the Lord. Here we go. Test, test. Amen. Good to see everyone tonight. You can bring me probably down just a little bit, James. Amen. Welcome you folks that are joining us through, uh, through Facebook Live. You've seen a little action here. We're just having a little camera issue, making sure we, we stay with you guys and we don't drop out during the course of the teaching tonight. But good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Uh, Father, we just come into your presence tonight in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Lord God, once again, Father, we are so honored, Lord God, just to be before you. Lord God, Father, we just, we live and we stay and we remain amazed, Lord God, at you and your majesty and your glory, Lord God. Father, I thank you, Lord God, that, that Father, when I look into your word, Lord God, and I feel your spirit, Lord God, there's just an encouragement, Lord God, that just bubbles up within me, Lord God. Father, I thank you, Lord God, that that's the, the well that we're able to draw from, Lord God, that well of life. Lord God, that river that never runs dry, Lord God. So just show us, Lord God, that we have a source, Lord God. We have that, 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 that washing and that regeneration of the Word, Lord God. And it's fresh and it's new every morning, Lord God. There's nothing stagnant about, Lord God, the water that, that flows from you, Lord God. So tonight, as we come into that place, Lord God, Father, we just come to take, Lord God, another cool drink of that water, Lord God, that's refreshing to us. So, Father, just give us your heart and your mind, Lord God, any, any distraction, Lord God, anything Lord God, that the adversary would in any way use to encumber, Lord God, what you desire to say and speak to us tonight, Lord God. Father, we ask, Lord God, by your name and your authority, by the blood of your son Jesus, that those things would be would be bound, Lord God, and those things would be uh, rendered moot in their influence upon us tonight, Lord God. Just let us be single of heart and mind and understanding, Lord God. Father, we just ask you, Lord God, if there be anything in our hearts, Lord God, any unconfessed sin, anything, Lord God, any struggles in our life, Father, we just lay those things down. We confess those before you. Lord God, we, we walk in a heart of repentance. Lord God, ask that our mind, Lord God, would be stayed upon those things eternal. Lord God, we thank you for these things. Anoint the preaching, the teaching, Lord God, and the hearing tonight. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. Good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. You guys that are joining us, good to be here. We're in the midst of a, uh, really, what is this, the past seven weeks in our uh, study and kind of establishing, uh, really, uh, our, our kind of examination of the epistle of Hebrews. Uh, you guys that may be tuning in, some of you that have come in uh, kind of late on this, really it's kind of a letter that was written in response uh, really to the, to the actions and really the potential uh, actions maybe and decisions of many of the Jewish converts uh, to Christianity in, in really kind of in that wake of an unprecedented persecution from both the, their former Jewish uh, brethren and the, the Roman occupiers as well. So these folks were caught kind of in the vice of pressure. You know, it's kind of like Paul said, you know, he, he used the terminology concerning, you know, I'm, I'm in a straight betwixt two. In other words, I'm, I'm kind of between a rock and a hard place. You know, it'd be better for me to go to be with Jesus, but it's better for you to be to stay here. And so they kind of faced the same thing. The kind of the, the, they, they kind of were feeling squeezed by the situation that was. And so the, this was leading a lot of those folks to, to really just wholesale abandon, uh, whether it was totally or just kind of merely uh, uh, just as a mean to escape persecution, their faith in Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah that had been pointed to them throughout, really, the, the Law and the Prophets. And so the writer here, and again, I believe it's Paul the Apostle, um, really was establishing the basis for his argument by pointing really to the common theme that exists throughout this epistle. And it's that it, he, Jesus, specifically speaking of, uh, of, of, of the redemptive work of the cross, was a better way than the law. And, you know, interesting enough, you know, I think about this, and every time I look at Hebrews, um, it's not that much different than Christians today, if you think of it. You're fine, Sam. Man, I'll just keep talking a little louder. It's no different than Christians today. We as kind of Gentile converts, and we're kind of facing that same thing. Don't you, don't you see it? 
kind of being between that rock and their hard place. And you think about it like this. We're kind of in the, kind of in the vice of, of compromised Christianity. In that vice on one side and really kind of secular, secularism on the other. That's your two choices. And so many of you, especially when you work kind of in the marketplace, how often do you find yourself squeezed on both sides? There's people that probably tell you that I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I love God. But there's just something that is that's not right about it. And you, you look at it, especially in light of the filter of God's word, you say to yourself, you know, that's just, that, that's not indicative of what Jesus Christ died for. And maybe you have other people that say, listen, I don't want anything to do with that God thing. And, you know, I believe it's just a fairy tale. And so here you are in the middle, wanting to walk in holiness and righteousness towards God. And you've got one brand of compromised Christianity on the other. And you've got a completely unbelieving world on the other. So let me ask you a question. Which one do you tend towards? You find yourself kind of bleeding over to one. And here's how we do it. You know, chances are you don't totally denounce Christ. And so you don't say, well, I just want to go towards the, uh, a place of, uh, of abject atheism and unbelief. But, but maybe you're, you're, you claim to be a, a believer, but you live like an agnostic. You know what I'm saying? Maybe your, your testimony to other people that one time maybe you stood up and said, hey, I just want to let you know I'm a, I'm a devout Christian. And they look at you and say, really? I'd have never known that before. Don't you want to be somebody that stands out, that people know, that really your life is such a testimony to Jesus that, and, and I hate to use this word, but I, but I will, that invites persecution? Do you live a life that invites persecution? Do you live a life that, that invites th those things that were invited into their life before they begin to backtrack back into the law? What I mean by that is that the Word of God tells us that many are the afflictions of whom? The righteous. It didn't say many of the afflictions of the unrighteous or the religious. Many of the afflictions of the religious. Religious people usually don't have any afflictions. Why? Because they can kind of uh, uh, morph their, their religious beliefs into whatever. And so they can kind of just go with the culture or whatever else. But many are the afflictions of the righteous. But what? God has delivered us out of every single one of them. It may not be in this lifetime, but ultimately we're going to get delivered out of any of those afflictions. He said, in this world... You will suffer persecutions, but do not fear, for I have overcome the world. Blessed are you when men should revile you and persecute you and speak all manner of evil against you falsely for his sake. He said, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Why? Because so they persecuted the prophets, the righteous who were even before you. So you see that. Which, which way do you go? Are you one that people say, well, they're a real nice person, but probably they're just a real nice person that gives the United Way and, 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 and helps with, with, with homeless ministry or, 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 or tears, tears out sheetrock during a hurricane? Or, or this is a person that is devotedly Christian. This is a person that, listen, don't, don't, don't think that you can get by going and gossiping to them because they're not going to have it. Don't think, think that's a person that, that is going to entertain uh, your, your, your crude remarks or that's a person that's, that's not going to take pause when you, when you use vile language. Don't, don't think that that's a person that, that's going to listen or watch something that, that may be inappropriate. Are you, are you that person that finds himself kind of in the way? Well, if you're that person that kind of finds himself in what Revelation 3 mentions about the church of Laodicea, well, you're, you're who the letter of Hebrews was written to. You just, the postman was just about 2,000 years late getting it into your hands, so to speak. And so we see that, and, and, and there's this growing and really intense hostility towards devout Christians from within the church itself. That's where the, the greater hostility, and you know the warning that Jesus gave, he said, listen, your enemies in the last days are going to be whom? Those of your own household. 
It didn't say your enemies are going to be some foreigner or someone that doesn't believe. It says those, Jesus prophesied this and we're seeing it in the now. He said, your enemies will be those of your own household. Folks, listen, I tell you what, if, if, if you don't find yourself sideways or at odds with unbelieving members of your own family, you're just not trying hard enough. <laughs> you're really not. You know, and I'm not talking trying hard enough to offend people. I'm just talking trying enough to, to let your light shine before men, that they might see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. They, they're going to recognize those things. And so, uh, you know, uh, blessed are you when men revile and persecute you. But he said, woe unto them when all men should speak well of you. If, if, if all anyone has to say about you is, listen, man, that person is just the easiest going person. That person never rocks the boat. That person is willing to compromise. That person is just kind of, you know, goes right along with the flow. You know, that's when we need to take pause and say, well, what's God really doing in our life? So there's an open and intense, uh, more intense hostility in the church towards a message of holiness and the separation from the world, which we call sanctification, in addition to the increasing opposition to God by an unbelieving world. Folks, I've been preaching, doing street preaching for, for obviously over a couple decades, but I can remember a time, even before that, being in the communities and things of even unbelievers, people that, that lived life that was uh, lives that were contrary to, to God, whether they were on drugs or, or some type of prostitution, so got brought up in those environments. But if you mention the name of Jesus, there wasn't a hope and hostility and necessity for them to get in your face and debate you. And you know what the, the worst scenario typically was? was indifference, and they would just ignore you and walk past you. But it wasn't you mentioned the name of Jesus and people wanted to rush you and cut your throat. You know, that's something that's, that's a relatively new phenomena within our church culture. They would ignore you and say, well, God bless your little heart. I'm glad that you're doing or whatever. But now you, you bring the, uh, about the name of Jesus in an unbelieving world that will tell you that it's all fake, it's all phony, it's all made up, it's just an illusion. Folks, listen, I don't, get, I don't believe in the Easter Bunny, but I don't get in fistfights over the Easter Bunny. Do you hear what I'm saying? There's other things that I would say that I don't, I don't agree with. We have people walking up with their long hair and their beards, and they're talking about serving some Viking god. I don't say, all right, it's time to throw down. You know, I, I, don't, I don't do that. Why? Because I know they're just serving a dead god. But isn't it interesting when you bring up the name of Jesus, there's a hostility that rises up, even though they think you're delusional, or they claim that you're delusional, and they claim that you're, you're, you're just out of step with reality, but they feel the necessity to argue with people that they're declaring to be insane. Mm -hmm. You're trying to argue with an insane person. You get nowhere. And so what do you do? You just kind of ignore that. Folks, that's the way it used to be. But now there's this growing hostility. And so many of the church have kind of sought to, to kind of adopt that same destructive uh, position that Hebrews seeks to remedy. And because of the persecution from the world and because of the rejection of the biblical salvation and the adoption of a false grace message, Many have turned uh, and really tried to keep just the name Christianity in order to kind of appease those uh, with a Christian worldview, yet they've really largely abandoned uh, the, really the principles in Christ in just an effort to kind of coexist with the occupying ideologies of an unbelieving world. And that's really what's happened. Let me just dumb it down enough and be nice enough, and hopefully they'll see how nice I am and want to come to Christ. Folks, your niceties and, 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 and your, uh, your proper decorum is never going to bring someone to Christ. It's really not. The message of the cross is what he's chosen to save those that believe. There's a lot of nice people. I've met some people that totally are bound by false religion. Some Mormon people have been around Mormon families. Some of the nicest people give you the shirt off their back and or do things for you, but they preach a false gospel. So their niceties or their benevolence. There's people that we met during Hurricane Katrina that came in that, that, that believed false religions, and some were very secular. 
But I tell you what, they drove thousands of miles and spent tens of thousands of dollars to help rebuild houses. But the unfortunate reality, God's not going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant, based upon those works that we thought were righteousness, were saved by grace through faith, not of works, so no, no one would ever be able to boast. And so this, these things are happening. Uh, the, 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 there's a buildup of those things both then and now. So the writer begins to establish really kind of the, the rebuke. I'm going to call this letter a word of rebuke or correction. How many of you know that, that rebuke is not bad? Amen. It's really not. If, if Doug was in his car making a beeline towards the Crescent City Connection and 15 minutes earlier somebody had exploded the bridge and there was a great breach in the bridge and Doug's going and I'm saying, Doug, where are you going? He said, well, I'm late for work. I've got to hurry. And I said, look, Doug, don't do that. That would be the dumbest thing in the world to do. Do not make that decision. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm rebuking him for his incessant desire to go over that bridge. But I'm doing it to do what? To save his life, to keep him plunging into his death. Folks, so rebuke's not bad. So I don't believe that when the writer of Hebrews uh, wrote this letter, he, he done it, but it's a, a rebuke, and he goes right into it. There was no greeting. There was no welcome in this letter, but it's, uh, 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 immediately, if you look at the book of Hebrews, he just dove right into the argument. He's like, let's cut to the chase. Let's, let's eliminate all the formalities, and let's get to what I'm talking about because this is a serious issue. And so we don't have to kind of uh, tiptoe into the subject. So you remember Hebrews 1 and 2, uh, Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2, and I'll go ahead and read them before we dive into what we're going to do in verse 3. It says, God, who at sundry or various times and in various manners, he spoke in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, and he has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, who he has appointed heir of all things, by whom he also made the world. My paraphrase would go something like this. People, listen to me. Previously, you relied upon some filtered secondhand revelation that came through men as you passed it on through other people through time. But you no longer have any excuses because God himself, the creator of all things, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, has personally come down in the incarnation in Jesus Christ and spoken directly to you concerning his will. So how many excuses do we have now? Well, zero. There's no excuses. He pulled out all the stops. He said, okay, you, you wouldn't listen. I sent people be, be, be before the law. I sent the law to describe something to you. You, you really didn't listen to, to any of those folks. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to eliminate the excuses. I'm going to come down myself, and I, I'm going to tell you the truth firsthand through the mouth of God. That's what he's saying to them. And so goes on. We, we looked in, in Hebrews 1.3. It says, who being the brightness of his glory, or, or Jesus was that divine majesty or the light of the world, and express image of his person. In other words, he's that physical manifestation of that invisible spiritual God, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. In other words, he's that very glue that everything subsists by, in which he had himself purged our sins. Amen. He did not nearly, merely take our sins. We started getting into this, but he ridded us from our obligation to the sin nature where the law had failed. And so this is what we were dealing with last week, and I'm going to drive this home just a little bit more. It's through himself the purification of our sins were made. Folks, I believe that for most believers, and I don't care where you come from or who you are, this is where the, the wheels, the proverbial wheels fall off your wagon. Because if I believe this, there's a victory that comes into my life. If I believe this. But if I, if, I, if I vary from this, and if I wane in my belief system to any degree, this is the inroad that is open for every single person to fall away from the Lord. Right here. This is, this is really kind of that key, the Rosetta Stone, to under, understanding every single thing about your walk with God. 
And so if you say to somebody, just some casual believer or whatever else, and some of you, I can ask you the question, and because you, 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 you've heard it by rote and you can repeat it, you're going, to give, you're going to give the right answer. But really, if you ask somebody that's a sincere believer that goes to church, that, that proclaims to love God, that's not out uh, killing and pillaging and raping and all these other type of things, and, and if you, you ask them certain questions, there's certain answers that you know you're going to get from them. And so if you ask them just a simple question, listen, uh, uh, are, you a, are you just a sinner saved by grace? What's most of them going to say? Yes. Yeah, I'm just a poor old sinner saved by grace. Well, what do they do? They're still beholding to a former nature, a former way of, of, of thinking. If you say to them, listen, do you, do you believe that, that God has set you free from sin and you don't have to sin every day? No, no, no way. We're just, we're all human. Well, somehow they miss this point. This is what they missed. They, 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 they missed the very thing that God had established in his word through the finished work of the cross of Calvary that changed everything. Folks, listen, this is the key to a new covenant relationship with God, what he said right here. And so this is not just a, a, a some type of solitary event that produced a kind of a more miraculous uh, uh, outcome than what was described right there. This is, this is very, the very message of the cross itself is what he said there. He says, where he had himself had purged our sins. You want to know what the message of the cross was? That Jesus Christ all by himself purged us from our sins. And folks, listen, if I just knew that much, I don't have to know all the other intricate details or all the other things and the, the, the haves and the have-nots. I don't have to memorize the, 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 all the, 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 the commandments of Exodus chapter 20 or all the, the, the things. If you do these things in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10 that you want to inherit the king. If I could just get that, if I could just get the very fact that it was Jesus Christ that came to purge me of my sins, if I just get that part and it's emblazoned on my heart, you know what? I'm going to walk in victory. Why? Because everything is going to flow out of that. But if I can't get that and I cannot believe that, my walk at best is going to be a continuous struggle from day one. I've got to get this. And so this is the message of the cross. This is that, that kind of five-word summarization of, of what one should expect when they come and place their faith in Christ Jesus. So we talked about briefly last week about that purging, or he came for a purification. And it's a word that literally means... It results from God removing undesirable admixtures or eliminating, eliminating, not reducing, but eliminating any type of impurities that would be upon our lives. And so if he came to purge us, what did he come to do? He came to eliminate any of those things that would in any way violate uh, the, the principles and the desires that God has for our lives. And so if God purged me, it doesn't mean that he just cleaned me up or he just wiped the rim of the glass off. It means that something happened that changed me from, from the very uh, basis of my being. It transformed me into what he desires for me to be. And so he purged it. So from the root, it means to be free from the defilement of sin, from faults, to purify from wickedness. So it means that I am free from defilement. It means that I'm free from any type of blemish. I'm free from the obligation to sin. I'm free from the corruption of sin. And I'm free from the impurities of sin. What's the operative word there? I'm free. Amen. There's a freedom that comes. John 8, 11, the woman caught in adultery. She was caught in defilement. She was caught in blemish. She was caught corrupt. She was caught in impurity. He said to her, do what? Now go. Now go and sin no more. I want you to go. 
I'm not just saying, as long as you stand right here, as long as you're my presence, as long as you're singing the, the right song, he said, now I want you to go, I want you to remove yourself from where I'm standing, and I want you to go and engage yourself right back into the world that you came out of. We're in the world, we're not of it. And even though you're in that place, I still want you not to sin anymore. And I've made this point before, I've been a pastor in a long time. You know, there's people that may come to church that have a, an addiction to nicotine. But I've never seen anybody... Right there in the middle of service, say, dude, listen, can't help it any longer. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pop my, my Marlboros out and light one up in the middle of church. I've never seen that happen. You know, I've pastored in some real interesting places. It's, it's almost surprising that that didn't happen. But they didn't. Why? Because they could demonstrate and exhibit some self-control in those type of situations. They understood that where we, we were at, where they were at, even in their time of struggle, was not a place that that action would be appropriate. Right? So how is it as believers that sometimes we think that we're, when we're in a church environment, we're in a situation like this, that there's certain things that are appropriate, rather than when we're always in his presence and we think certain things are appropriate or inappropriate? Are there certain things that you'll watch that you wouldn't watch with Jesus looking over your shoulder? Is there, is there some things you'd listen to that you wouldn't listen to with Jesus over your shoulder? Is there certain words that you would say to other people that you wouldn't say with Jesus over your shoulder? Well, folks, i got news for you. Jesus is over your shoulder. He's, he's present everywhere. He's omnipresent. But just think about how arrogant we can be when somehow we think, like Adam and Eve did, that we can hide from God in the garden when we transgressed him. Who are you hiding from? Why are you hiding? Why are you trying to cover yourself? Don't you know I'm the only one that can cover you? Why? Well, because we, we, we see that we're naked. Well, folks, without the blood of Jesus, without that purging from that, that obligation of the sin nature, every single one of us are, are stripped bare and naked. It's if we can get covered by the revelation of that truth in our life, then we don't have to fear him. We don't have to run from him. Why? Because now we're clothed with that, 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 that raiment of righteousness through faith in the finished work of the cross of Calvary. Then it's not a nervousness. It's not an a, 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 a unclean fear to come into the presence of God. Why? Because we see that we're invited and we can come boldly into the throne of grace and mercy and get all the help that we need. So we're free from all of those things. Or are you now free from what you once were because I've, he stood in the gap for you and turned back the judgment that you deserve? And so he told her, he said, now I want you to go stay free. He stood in the gap for the woman caught in the act of adultery. I'm standing in the gap for you. I'm providing a way of escape. Now I want you to go, and I am telling you to stay free. So here's my question. Has anybody in this room ever been in jail, prison, or arrested? Doug? JC? Man, what kind of people do we have in this place? <laughs> Hands are up all over. I got arrested hanging out with you. Oh, you did get arrested hanging out with me. I'm raising my hand because I've been arrested too for preaching the gospel. So you have, and so you you know that. But if you've ever been arrested for some criminal activity, if you you guys kind of come from some some interesting backgrounds, but we're gonna we're gonna love on you anyway and believe that God can do a work in your life, Angela. Everybody on here is thinking, who's Angela there? They're gonna be looking you up on Facebook or something. And so if you've ever been incarcerated, or you maybe you've known somebody, some of you guys have had family members or whatever else that have spent some time in prison or significant time locked up. When you serve your time, and some of you that have been there, or you satisfy any post-release obligations, maybe you're on parole or probation, or maybe you had some fines or some financial restitution or something else, you may be told by a judge, maybe a probation officer, maybe some other officer of the court, they'll tell you something, they'll say, listen, good job, 
and I don't want to see you back here again. You know, were you told that by anybody? Doug, okay, you're a young man, your whole life's ahead of you. I don't want to see you back here again. In other words, what they said is, listen, you have now been granted your freedom. Now, by all means, go and stay free. Right? Now, would we think that was, was, was too much of a stretch of the imagination? Maybe you have somebody you loved, and they did some type of uh, criminal act, and they, 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 they had to spend maybe a few years or even a few months away from their family, and they got out, and they're reunited to their family, and you say to them, listen, don't do it again. Now, would you expect them not to do it again? You, would, you could expect them that. You can say, listen, you know how much it hurts you. You know how much it costs you. You know the sacrifices that other people have made a result. And so listen, when I'm telling you to, to, to not to reoffend, when I'm telling you not to do that, I actually expect that. That's my, my not just my desire, but that's my expectation for you. Folks, listen, it's the same way. When he stuck the key, the, the, the key in the keyhole of redemption and turned it by his own blood, and he set you free, he said, now I expect you to stay free. I paid the price. I did the time. I, I was the one that bore the brunt of your punishment. Now I'm expecting you to stay and to walk in accordance with that freedom. Isn't this what Galatians 5.1 says? It's for freedom that he set us free. Now we know that part, but what about the next portion of the verse? Stand firm then and do not allow yourselves to be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Be not again entangled in the yoke of bondage. It was for your freedom so you could be free. It wasn't for your bondage. It wasn't for your compromise that you were made free. It, it wasn't for your wishy-washiness. It wasn't so you could just be a poor old sinner saved from, by grace. It wasn't so you could find yourself a, 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 a vacillating between two opinions. It wasn't for that that I set you free. It wasn't so you could totally continue to be hounded by thoughts and images and, 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 and compromise. Don't you know that I set you free so that you could actually be free? Folks, I think that's where the simplicity of that, what he said there, that through him, he's purged us, he's sanctified us through himself. Amen. I did that so you could be free. Folks, the unfortunate reality, and there's a multitude of pulpits even across this nation, they teach a message in stark contrast to just that. They, they teach the, you know what? Man, I know you just spent the last 10 years of your life behind bars, and I know you don't want to go back, but... Keep your bags packed because you're going to be right back in there. Well, didn't I do the crime and did my time? Well, I know you did, but you know what? Once a loser, always a loser. Once a con, always a con. Once a failure, always a failure. Folks, what is the message that the, that the, that the modern day church of the Jesus Christ is propagating to people? We're not preaching the, the Galatians 5.1 message. We're not preaching that, that that's for freedom that he set us free. We're not preaching the John 8.11 <coughs> to go and send no more message. We're preaching a message that says, listen, man, I know you're struggling. You know what? <laughs> Get used to it because everything's going to be a struggle. You're never going to be walking in victory. And here's the unfortunate reality is people have bought that lie, lock, stock, and barrel. Yeah. Yeah. Because, listen, the adversary, I think, I think uh, either... Uh, Pastor Raymond Hill or Pastor Tao was preaching this past week, and they said, listen, they, I think it was Raymond Hill. He said, listen, the enemy don't care if you go to church. He just don't want you to actually live like one.
plastic cross. You could do all that stuff and have the right bumper sticker and show up at the right location a couple times a week. Just don't really act like a Christian. Just really don't be free. Carry your chains of bondage and your thought life. Carry all that wicked perversion in there because, listen, I don't care how much you act like something, you're not ever, it's kind of like somebody acting like they're a football player or wearing a Saints jersey with somebody else's name on it. And you look at them and say, hey, you're wearing a, a, a jersey with Drew Brees' name on it. And I know you're not Drew Brees. You're 400 pounds. And Drew Brees isn't 400 pounds. <laughs> Folks, we look at grown men trying to dress up and masquerade in the jersey of a football star. But folks, listen, <clears throat> we look at immature believers dressing up and trying to wear the name of Jesus Christ, and they're no more a Christian than the 400-pound, beer-drinking, potato-chip-eating guys, Drew Brees. <laughs> but we'll laugh at them, but we'll say we understand people in the church that masquerade as believers. You were purged or separated from that which separates from God. He said, now you're being instructed to stay purged, don't reoffend, and end back incarcerated within the bondage of sin. That's exactly what he was telling us here in this Hebrews 1 and 3. Think about Hebrews 10, 14. You know this verse. He said, for by one offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. Is that what he said? I don't make this stuff up. So in other words, by the cross... He offered himself, right? Yes. Is that what he did? We know it in Hebrews 9, 14. We'll get there next 20 years from now. <clears throat> but he said, he said this. He said, just think how much more the blood of Jesus Christ will purify your consciousness from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God for the power of the Holy Spirit. Christ himself offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. How many of you like to worship the Lord? How many of you like worship, worship time? You like that? You know, man, when it comes time to worship, you know, I think there's a lot of people that like to worship that don't really worship. Now, I'm not saying they're not moved. I'm not saying they're not singing. I'm just saying there's a lot of people that claim to like to worship that can't worship. Okay, let me go back to the law just a little bit. We heard, we heard a little, little bit this past week about the tabernacle of wilderness. I, I have one. Beth, thank you so much. I was coughing for some reason. But think about this. There was only one high priest. One high priest. You know, the priesthood began, obviously, with Aaron. But there was one high priest that could go in to the most holy place. One guy. One, one, one person that had that role and responsibility to go in. And he went in strictly on the Day of Atonement. He went in for his own sins. He sprinkled blood upon the, 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 the mercy seat for his sins. And he'd go back in and he'd sprinkle blood upon the mercy seat for the sins of the people. Day of Atonement. And he'd put the sins off for a year. Right? Now listen, don't you think that there were some other priests that thought to themselves, man, it'd be cool to have his job. He gets to go in there where the, the very manifest presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God, is right there resting upon the Ark of the Covenant. Don't you think there were some people that thought to themselves, man, I wish that was my role. I get to be the one that really gets to go in there and do that. Right? Wouldn't you have? Would you? I would have. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm not going to lie and say, listen, no, I'm sitting out there thinking, well, that's just Aaron's job, and, you know, bless his little heart. I'm glad that I have to stay out here. I, I would never thought. I would have thought, you know what, man, you know what, praise God for that. I know i got to do what i got to do, and I'll be faithful over it. But, wow, can you imagine going in and seeing that mercy seat and, and, and seeing the, 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 the manifest presence? I, I would have desired that. So there was people that desired that, 
But you know what? They didn't get to go in, did they? Why? Why didn't they get to go in? Because they hadn't been set apart for that job. Right? They'd been set apart for other jobs, but they hadn't been set apart for that facet of worship, period. And so the reason I make that point is I believe that there's many people that would sit outside, maybe in the, in the outer court or even in the holy place, and, and they would envision and they would think in their mind or, or somehow uh, uh, fantasize about going into that place. I believe there's a lot of people that want to enter into worship that really never enter into worship. Here's what I mean by that. Worship requires purification or purging. If your faith cannot produce purification, then your good intentions or desires will never provide access into his presence in worship. At best, you're going to be Nadab and Abihu, and you're going to offer strange fire to him. Now, it may look like worship, it may sound like worship, but unless you get a hold of this truth, that he has purged you from unrighteousness, you think for a minute that God is going to receive worship from something that is committed to defiling themselves rather than committed to having faith in the finished work of the cross of Calvary? Well, why do I say that? Psalm 24, 3 and 5, you know this. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who's going to stand in his holy place? Those with clean hands and a pure heart who have not lifted up their soul unto vanity. Okay? That's the soul, the seat of emotions, your will, your desires, nor sworn deceitfully. In other words, you made a lot of claims that you weren't really holding on to. God, I love you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. But it's deceitful. You're not really doing it. You're taking the name of the Lord God in vain. And you, then you want to offer that as some strange fire. He said, but anyone, who, uh, but he shall receive the blessing of the Lord and righteousness from his God of his salvation. So, folks, listen. If we're legitimately going to enter into the presence of God, you're only going to get in one way. You're only going to get in through purification and purging or putting your faith in what Jesus Christ has done. You can sing a song that puts chill bumps up and down people's spines. You can do that. You can, you can affect somebody emotionally or soulishly. But I tell you what, if you're not purging or if you're purified, you can be on the radio. You can, you can have gold records and get Grammy Awards. But I tell you what, if, it's not, if your life is not purged and transformed by faith in the finished work of the cross of Calvary, it is just a vain oblation. It is drawing near with his mouth, but your hearts are far from him. So how often do you offer that to him? With the expectancy that he's going to take it. Folks, it's, it's the same strange fire that we saw the sons of Aaron uh, try to offer up on the altar, and the fire came off and it consumed them. Folks, when we look at what Jesus did, we've got to understand that he did it for a purpose to purge us and to sanctify us so we could come into that place. So his offering the cross provided for our purging or perfection. First John 3, 5, and 6, and it says, you know that Jesus came to do what? To take away our sins, and there's no sin in him. He came to do what? Take away our sins. There's no sin in him. Anyone who continues to live in him will not continue to sin, but anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him. It's not been purged. It's not been sanctified. It's not got a revelation of what he did. And so it's going to be easy when persecution comes, when trials come, to fall right back into that rut. Folks, that's why people backslide. They don't have a revelation of what Jesus did. Come on. That's why people struggle with sin. They don't have a revelation of what Jesus did. And so as a result, they become egocentric. It's like what I do. As long as I go to church, as long as I read the Bible, as long as I sing the song, as long as I don't curse too much, or as long as I don't su submit myself to too wicked of entertainment, as long as I do that, then I'm okay. 
Well, then the second you do that, you find yourself slipping away. Folks, listen, the only way that you can walk in victory, amen, is to walk with the one that bought our victory at the cross of Calvary. Do you hear me? That's where you're going to find yourself having victory, not in your own works of righteousness, but putting your faith in the finished work of the cross of Calvary. Why? Because you can fast from now until Jesus comes back, and at best you're just going to be skinny unless you're purged. Do you hear me? So no amount of our good works and our efforts are going to do it. It's coming to a place of saying, listen, you're right. In my flesh dwells no good thing. My very best intentions and my good works, they're never going to get me there. They're just going to give me something that's going to wreak more condemnation upon my life. But when I can come to the revelation that I put my faith in what Jesus Christ did, something tremendous and miraculous happens in my life. Yeah, I'm going to go through the trial, but you know what? I'm going to go through the trial. I mean, I'm going to be faced with difficulty, but I'm going to overcome the difficulty. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to meet some things that may have unmet expectations and disappointment or, or whatever else. But you know what? My sight are going to be set on those things above and not beneath. And greater is he that's inside of me, that's inside of the world. And come hell, come high water, come unmet expectation, disappointment from other people or whatever else. Listen, listen, I'm not looking to the left or to the right. I'm focused upon him. Why? Because I'm seated with him in heavenly places because he has purged me. He has cleansed me. He has redeemed me. He has sanctified me. And no longer am I in bondage or a slave to those things that used to define me. It was for freedom that he set me free. And who the Son has set free is free indeed. Folks, that's got to be where faith is built up. I said the other day, listen, you guys were here. I said, listen, I don't do discouragement very much. When I was lost and before I ever had a revelation of what Jesus did, man, I was just discouraged. Why? Because, man, every time I tried, I fell short. I did. Fell short. Man, God, I want to serve you. I fell short. God, I want to go to church. I, I, I want to be an example to people in my school. I fell short. Well, because I thought it was all about the pats on the backs and you're doing a good job and, and maybe that I could somehow demonstrate some outward righteousness even though my, 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 my heart was filled with wickedness. But when I came to the point, I said, God, listen. I, I understand that inside of me dwells no good thing. I, so I need something inside of me. I need Christ in me to be my hope of glory. I need to stop going through the motions. I need to stop seeing being in your word as drudgery. I need to stop seeing prayer as something that's just eating up my time. I need to stop.